vile Christians. And whoever compels, whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Second mile Christians. Eternal God, we thank you that we've learned that there's a privilege in the pain. For if we allow patience to have its perfect work, you will cause us to be more like Jesus, conformed into his image. And now, Father, by your spirit, we pray that you would continue, continue to saturate us, to shake us, oh God. Move us from where we are comfortable that we will chase after you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen, 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 amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Second mile Christians. Going above and beyond what is necessary and required in obedience to the word of God. Being exact being exuberant, exaggerating in how we bless others. Our passage today is taken from Luke chapter 14 and uh, is actually when you get a chance you want to read all of Luke chapter 14 it's all connected but for the benefit of our study today I want you to turn your attention to Luke chapter 14, and we're going to focus on verses 17 through 24. We're not going to be able to unpack every detail, but I do ask that you would pray because I believe that God has a word for us today. In June... 1976, actually on the 12th of June, interracial marriages were legalized in all 50 states of the United States of America. Now, mind you, there is only one race. It's the human race. I only heard a few amens, but God said it in his word. We are all created in the image of God, and there's only one, one flesh, one race, the human race. The new law allowed different social groups usually identified or described by external features such as skin pigmentation or melanin hair texture, the size of somebody's lips, the shape of our noses, as well as other body parts that we don't need to accentuate at this time. Uh, you were allowed, irrespective 
of these external physical features to marry in the United States, except if you went to certain churches, especially the biblical evangelical churches, the ones that we call biblical. Six months after the law was passed, a movie was released called Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? Hence the fork and the knife and the spoon. In the movie, and I would encourage some of you younger uh, folks in the audience to uh, go to YouTube and watch this movie. It's a classic. A young lady who was vacationing in Hawaii met a tall, devonair, professional physician who she fell deeply in love with. He proposed, asked her hand in marriage. She in turn informed him that she had to get, and he wanted her to get her parents' blessings. So she abruptly ended her vacation in, in Hawaii. That must have been some real love. And she returned to her parents' home in San Francisco. They were upper class, well-to-do, white uh, parents who owned their own businesses. And they considered themselves to be very open-minded and liberal thinking and inclusive. That's a catchword today, inclusive. And so she said to her parents, I'm getting married to a doctor. All they needed to hear was the word doctor, and they became immediately uh, exuberant and uh, set into motion uh, a plan to have a family dinner where the parents of the physician and his, his father and mother could meet at her home, at their home, and inter be introduced at the same time. And so they went about telling all their friends, and they invited uh, close friends to this dinner where physician is going to be introduced, parents for the first time. And so as Sidney Portier, who's the doctor, uh, is approaching the home, his parents are starting to get a little uncomfortable because that's not a neighborhood where African-Americans live. Uh, but when an African-American maid opened the door, they felt a little more at ease, only to be totally shocked. Both sets of parents, the white parents and the African-American parents, when they meet each other for the first time, they are stunned that the person who was invited to dinner as their future son and daughter-in-law were of different color. And so what the, what the experience uncovered and showed that these liberal, accepting, and inclusive parents on both sides really were closet racists. And they really had to overcome what they didn't even realize was hidden in the dark 
recesses of their hearts and minds. Now, I want you to understand that too many of us as Christians have allowed the enemy to divide us based on external features. Uh, the Bible says that man looks at the outward appearance, but God, his concern is not how you look because we can fake it until we make it. Jesus added, he said, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you? These people draw nigh unto me with their mouths. But on the inside, where it really counts, where God is shining the light of his spirit, he says they are far from me. To exclude and to treat people differently because of external features or possessions or status in life is contrary to the heart of God. All are welcomed at God's table of blessing. And there's always another seat at the table. Now, I don't know how you would feel if your sister or your brother or your son, who you send off to college, if they decide to come back in the name of love, decide that they're going to marry somebody from India, or they're going to marry somebody from Poland or Russia or Czechoslovakia. Czechoslovakia, yeah, 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 that too. Yeah. <laughs> Their cultures are different, their externals are different, and we say we love the Lord, but how would you respond? Would there be a place at your table for someone who doesn't look like you? If the cover and the light was turned on on the darker recesses of your heart, would you be much like the president that we call racist? I want you to know they're black and white races, and God hates both for that, hates the sin of racism no matter who the person is. Second mile Christians go beyond the normal or the necessary to invite the uninvited to God's table of salvation. And here's the other thing, not only are we reaching out for whoever will come, Jesus says, Whosoever will come, let him come, and I will in no wise cast out, because God so loved how many people in the world? He so loved the world, the entire world, the entire cosmos that he gave. Jesus died for everybody. He said, if you come, I will in no wise cast out. And so those of us who have the heart of God, we're constantly reaching out like the Lord. Paul says, I become all things to all men in order that I might win some for Christ. So it don't matter how you look on the inside, outside. What matters to me is do you know Jesus? And if you want to know him, let me tell you about him because he is the one who's made me brand new from the inside out. But here's the one, so, so on the one hand, I'm reaching out to invite anybody who wants to be at God's table because there's always room. But there's another aspect of reaching out. It's not only are we looking for people that want salvation, but we are reaching out to everybody for full participation. 
that everything that God has for me, I want it for you. I want you to become everything that God intended for you from the very foundations of the earth. That's why the Bible says iron sharpens iron. I will never be all that I can be without you. And so it's one thing to invite people at the table for salvation. It's another thing to allow them the opportunity for full participation. Second mile Christians go over and above to reach anybody that is willing to come to know Christ. I want you to listen to these words in Luke chapter 14, verses 12 and 14, which says, Then he also said to him who invited him, Jesus speaking. And when you get a chance, it's theologically and eschatologically, all this is about, I know it's about Israel. It's about how when Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, for it is the dunamis of God. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And then here's what he says, to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. So God's original plan was to send through the seed of Abraham, going way back in the Genesis, that the nation of Israel would be his voice, his mouthpiece to the world to win others to the saving knowledge of the Messiah that was prophesied way back in Genesis 3.15. So this, 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 this whole section beginning in chapter 14 is really about the nation of Israel, how they failed to keep their assignment that God had purposed for them. Do you understand what I'm saying? So God assigned them. So I get it. I know what, this, I know what it's about. But it ain't going to be our focus right now. Because there's a practical aspect of the theological intent of this passage that we need to get for our own purposes so that you and I can be second mile, going beyond, doing extravagant, doing what is rare, doing what is not necessary to bless others. And so he says, when he, so he says when, you give a, when, when you give a dinner or supper, do not ask your friend, your brothers, or ask, ask for your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors, lest also they invite you back and you be repaid. See, he says, don't invite people who can repay you. Mmm. We're talking about second mile Christians. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. In this chapter, Jesus teaches us the danger of mishandling the favor and the privileges of God. We can abuse the blessings of God that he's bestowed in our life by keeping them to ourselves. What we do, what happens when we, when we don't handle the favor, the favor of God is based on your relationship with him. If you're saved, you have the favor of God because the Bible says we are seated in Christ in heavenly places and the blessings that are from Christ because of what he accomplished our eyes. We have favor with God because we are saved. We are in his family. You have favor. Because of that favor comes Privilege. 
and the privileges are the benefits of my relationship. My children have benefits because of their relationship to me as their father. We have benefits from God because of our relationship with him, but we can abuse the favor and the privilege. His favor can lead to arrogance, a false confidence in your relationship with God, you think because you have credentials, you think because you have a degree, you think because you got Bible training. I've been in the church so many years. can lead to a false confidence. It can lead us to be selfish, callous towards those who need. It can also lead to spiritual laziness. Someone has said, and this really blew me away, that the, that the opposite of faith is not fear. It's comfort. Because com fear will make you Make, you, have to do, you have to do something when you're afraid. When you're comfortable, you can stay right where you are. I think the greatest challenge to the church today is we, too many of us are looking for a pillow. Too many of us are looking for a remote control. Too many of us are looking for our next vacation. Too many of us are trying to figure out how we can do less for the kingdom than more. Privilege and favor can make you lazy. But Jesus says, take up your cross that you may follow me. The, the, Jesus says, the greatest commandment is it, it, not that you join the church. It's not that you have a Bible. Not that you can memorize scripture. He said, but the greatest commandment is that you love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul and all your strength. That simply means that by the time you love God that way, when you get to heaven, you're going to be sprinting across the finish line and you're going to collapse because you're exhausted from serving God. When is the last time you broke a sweat for the Lord? Laziness, choosing comfort over meeting genuine needs of her. And we'll, put, we'll pay for stuff. We'll put money on it. We ain't putting our time in it. Stay with me. Genuine needs and hurting people and excluding at the exclusion from, from eternal world. Here's the interesting thing. What the Lord does in this passage he says to those who think they're already set, I'm eternally secure, but goose have been saved. Who, keep, who Jesus has in his hand, who can pluck them out? Yeah, I'm, on, I'm just on my way. But Jesus also said, many shall say in that day, have I not? And the Lord said, depart from me, I'm, you workers of iniquity. You didn't serve me. But Jesus attaches the lack of compassion, the lack of inclusion, the lack of meeting needs of people who are hurting. He attaches that to a heart that's never been converted. By the time we get to the end of this chapter, Jesus says they will not partake of a banquet in heaven. And so it's not just enough to say you love Jesus when somebody's hungry, but you won't feed them and you pray for them, but you ain't feeding them. The Lord said that type of faith is not living faith. It's dead faith. Faith without works is an airplane without wings. It won't fly, baby. It won't fly. Failure to do what you can do for hurting people may reveal that your religious actions are not produced out of a righteous heart. Let me share three quick thoughts. The first thing about God's inclusiveness, that everybody is invited at God's table. The first thing that I want to consider with you is God's favor and privilege should make you humble rather than proud. One of the clearest evidences that you have a relationship with the Lord is that you have a spirit of humility. That's what the Bible says. Unless you enter into the kingdom like a little child. 
totally dependent and rely and recognize, come to the Lord with an empty hand. You can't, he can't feel what is full. But when we come to him with an empty hand, so the favor of God and his privilege should make you humble, not arrogant. Verses 7 through 11, God's favor and privilege should cause you to focus more on what you can give than what you can receive. I know you didn't hear that on TBN. I know you didn't hear that on BTVT when they talked about naming it and claiming it and it's yours, your day is coming. Because come on, baby, that's, no, 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 no. I know you didn't hear that, but what the Bible teaches, the Christ of the scripture says it's better to give. Sometimes your blessing is delayed because you're waiting instead of giving. Here's the third thing. God's favor should motivate you to reach the unreached rather than reaching your own agenda. Is that, your, is that the primary focus of your life, is to accomplish the task that Jesus says, I want you to occupy, to finish what I started. We're so distracted, but let's, let, let, let me not get distracted. Let's move on here. God's favor and privilege should make you humble rather than proud. Verses 7 through 8, when, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them a parable. A parable is a heavenly story with an earthly meaning. He says, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may, be, may have been invited. And so the host who invited both you will come and say, to you, give that person your seat. They understood that kind of behavior. So he talked to them in their language. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. And so here's Christ saying, because you've been invited to the table, how many of you know we don't deserve to be at God's table? You ain't always, Paul said, but for the grace of God, so go I, O oh, wretched man that I am. I was a sheep without a shepherd. I, I, there was none righteous. I was, a, I was in that group. That was my gang. I was a part of the unrighteous. I didn't know God, no God on my sight, in my mind. I was dead in my trespasses and sin. I did not belong <laughs> or deserve to be at the table. But notice in this parable, who invited the guests to dinner? It was a host, the host. And in this parable, the host we're going to later learn represents God the Father. When someone invites you, the someone, again, represents and tip, it's a, a type of God in terms of his extension to all for, to come into the ark of salvation, to be saved. The greatest miracle that the Lord is performing now, when the disciples came back, they said, Lord, at your name, demons tremble. At your name, those who are sick are healed of their affliction. And Christ looked at them without, a, without cracking a smile or, or flinching. He says, do not be excited that demons are trembling in those who are sick are healed. He said, but you need to be excited that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You need to be excited. So who invited you to dinner or to humble you? God chose you. 
In eternity past, your name, he put your name on an invitation, and he signed it with the blood of Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, it says, For he chose you in him before creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. God chose you. You ought to be excited that he decided to pick you. He snatched you out of the hands of the evil one and pulled you away from the kingdom of darkness and established you in his marvelous light. That ought to humble you because you understand that if he had done what we deserve, the Bible says his mercies is what keeps us from getting what we deserve. Why God chose you should humble you. In verse six of that, verse five and six of that chapter in Ephesians chapter one, it says, in love, he be predetermined or predestined us to be adopted to for adoption and sonship through the Lord Jesus Christ in accordance to his pleasure and will to the praise of his glory. Why did he do it? Why would he give his only son? The Bible says when we were without strength, God proved, he demonstrated beyond a shadow of doubt by sending. Why did he do it? First it says he did it because of his love. Thank God he doesn't have the kind of love that we have because our love is conditional. But because of his agape, his unconditional love, that's why he predestined us that we might be adopted as sons and daughters into his family through Jesus Christ. He said, in according to his pleasure, for his own personal pleasure, God did it. That's why he didn't need Adam. He didn't need Eve. He simply did it because he chose to. It pleased him to do it. It pleased God to reach down from eternity past and to give you by way of the call of the Holy Spirit an invitation. The Bible says no man can come unto the Father except the Spirit of God draw him. And so God not only wrote the invitation, signed it in the blood of Jesus, then he moved on your heart. And one day you had no other choice but to choose to say yes, yes. Yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, I need your cleansing blood. He also did it because of his will. He's sovereign. He can do whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do, for the praise of his glory. So he can get the honor. That's why God did it, so that we can praise him. All glory and honor belongs to him. No one who's saved ought to have any trouble saying hallelujah, praise the Lord. Because the Lord, if he does another thing, if he never does one more thing, he's already done the best thing. He saved you. He gave you the gift of eternal life. He did it because he loves us. He did it because of his pleasure and his will. Because he deserves praise. God created you and I to worship. Sometimes your breakthrough is in your worship. You waiting for the breakthrough. No. Start worshiping him. Start praising him. Start acknowledging. I know you want him to do whatever is going on in your life right now, but if you would just thank him for what he's already done, if you would simply claim because he's been faithful in the past, I have no doubt that the same God I have no doubt now, how the invitation was purchased should humble you. The Bible says in verse 7, which he freely gives to us, the ones who he loves. He says, in him we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sin according to his riches and God's grace. He did it through the blood of Jesus. 
Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. The, Jesus speaking, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, the bridge between earth and heaven. The, 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 what needs to pay for the dirt of our sin was provided through the, the, through the blood, through the death of Christ. That ought to humble us. What should our response be when we are invited to the table when the Holy Spirit's working our heart and we've already responded. First of all, we need to accept the invitation. It's one thing for the Lord to be knocking on his heart. It's another thing for you to let him in. You can be sitting under the same word, hear it every Sunday, and it never has any life-changing impact on you because you haven't received it. That doesn't mean that the word is any less powerful. Because the word is quick and powerful, sharpened and any two-edged sword. It pierces even to the dividing sons of soul and spirit and the joints of man. It even discerns the thoughts and intents of our heart. But if you don't respond to it, you, you did respond, you just hardened your heart. The first thing you need to do is accept it. The next thing you need to do is allow the Lord to determine your place at the table. When you come to the banquet, he says, you don't decide once you get the invitation where you sit. The seats are already predetermined. You don't have to be looking for titles and position and recognition. No, 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 no. Let the Lord decide where you get to sit. Allow Lord and abase yourself. Humble yourself because of his grace, because of his grace. But when you are invited, take the lowest seat. The first, the last shall be first. The greatest in the kingdom is the least in the kingdom. The, being a servant of the Lord is not a struggle for the top. It's a struggle for the bottom. It's seeing yourself as God sees you, not thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. Nothing to prove, nothing to gain. I tell you, if you would just get out of the way, if you, the problem with a living sacrifice, the Bible said present yourself as a living, the problem with that kind of sacrifice is that it keeps getting up off the altar. You, 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 we, we got to die, y'all. We need to die to ourselves. Then you will be honored in the presence of all, for all of those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves shall be exalted. Here's what you need also do when the invitation is given. You need to anticipate that the Lord will elevate you. Watch this. When the Lord talks about being accepted through, into salvation, then the opportunity for full participation, that is, he gives us, he gives us purpose in the things that he wants us to do, and he tells us to do what without gifts? Cultivate, stir up, develop your gifts. And then what the Lord does is it does your, your gifts, whatever I've given you, will make room for you. But the room that their gifts make for you is not an elevation in credentials. It's not an elevation in titles. It's not an elevation in human recognition. But the position at the table determines how close you are to the head, the one who's at the head of the table. So I want the Lord to move me closer to him because to be closer to him means I got more intimacy with him. The scripture said if you draw nigh unto him, he will draw nigh unto you. Some of you watch the Oscars. Did, did, didn't you do that? The Academy Awards. I had to look. The Academy Awards. I think that was about two hours. My wife taped it. It ain't there no more. I don't know what happened to it. I ain't taking it. I know what happened to it, but anyway, it kind of disappeared. Two hours. Mm-hmm. In order to attend the Academy Awards, you got to get an in the but even when you get the invitation, if you don't accept it, the invitation is 
voided. But once you accept the invitation, then that gives you the opportunity to enter into the banquet room, the, the, where, the auditorium where there are thousands of others. Now, you, 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 if you were part of the Actors Guild, you got to be a part of So there's something you did to become an invitee. But I'm the table I'm talking about, it ain't nothing you did or nothing I did. But the invitation gets you into the room to, to watch the stars, to, to find out who, did, who, who, who had the best movie, the best leading actor, the best supporting actor, the best cinematology, the, the, the best uh, soundtrack, all of those things, and you're there. So, but everybody's in the room. But then there are those who get the VIP invite in the invitation. You get to go back into the green room where this dude stole the Oscar. You remember this is the brother talking about this? I won this on my own. Yeah, you did. That's the green room where the actors and the extras who win the Oscars, they come back and they take photo shoots. And because of your position in the building, you have access to the actors and the actresses. You can take a photo shoot with them. So you have a higher level of privilege. You didn't earn that. Somebody gave it to you because of what we call favor and privilege. Because of a relationship, you end up in the green room. But this is a third level of privilege. You get to go to the after party, depending on if you know LeBron or Magic or something like that. Relationship can get you closer to those who you look up to the most. I want you to understand that when you got the invitation of salvation and you say yes to Jesus, the more you desire of him, the more you humble. Here's how you get closer. You don't get closer by having all the right answers. You don't get closer by giving the most money in the church. You don't get closer because you sing the best. You get closer because of humbling yourself and placing yourself at the altar. You get to go to the after party. <laughs> Being invited by God ought to humble you. The humblest people you know ought to be Christians. Starting with the pastor. The pastor shouldn't be the most arrogant person in the church. Somebody say amen. We're going to move on. God's favor and privilege should cause you to focus on more on what you can give and what you can receive. The time that we live in created the perfect storm for the, the climate, for the, for the situation that we have in Washington. During the Second War, everything was about family and friends and God. And people sacrificed. They, they left their jobs to serve in the military. Women were working in factories and children. Everybody's working together because country, family, and God. It was called an altruistic era of history where everybody was more concerned about other things so that their children could have a better life. We don't live in that time no more. <laughs> we live in an egotistical driven, hedonistical environment where everything is about me, my, and I. And so we, we on the side where what's in it for me? I'll stay at the church if I can sit and I get entertained. I'll get kind of quiet up in here. But we, 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 we want to know what's in it for me. 
And the Lord is saying, you get more from what you're in when you give more of who you are in me. Now notice this. What the Lord assumes, he said, then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, it's assumed that you're already doing this. That you're already reaching out. That you're already available and inclusive. It's commanding to reach others about for Christ. It's not, it's not even really something that the Lord should have to tell us. It should be automatic. It should be as natural to us as breathing is to our lungs. We should be telling people about Jesus. The church ain't going to grow. Whenever the weather changes or something like that, I know who's coming to church. But the, pro the deal is that my job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Now, here's what the enemy does, is he's got us so busy and so worn out <laughs> that we don't have the, the, we say we don't have the time to really be doing this, but we do have the time. We'll talk about that. Stay with me. Stay with me. Don't, don't cut me off now. Amen? So he, he assumes that we're inviting, and, and invitations for meals was very common during the time of Jesus, but it was, it was a way of expressing that you are important, that you are significant. It was a way of establishing race, relationships and deepening them. So when you bring somebody into your house and you break bread, back then they didn't go down to Acme or ShopRite. They had to go into the barn and kill a goat, kill a, kill a cow, and milk a, you know, they had to get some, I mean, so it was really involved. So they would never, they would invite somebody to dinner, but they wouldn't give them the time. They say, or they'll say a day, and then they'll say, they'll send a messenger and say, look, dinner's ready. So whatever you were doing because you accepted the invitation, you were told to drop it and go because that was one of the greatest insults was to be invited and say yes and then not respond. And so Lord said, when you do this, because this is what Christians do, we're opening up our homes, we're reaching out to people. He says, here's what I want you to do. He said, I don't want you to invite who you normally would invite to your house. When Easter comes up and you're having breaking meal. Now, don't leave the pastor out. We can always, you know, have a little spot. Don't exclude everybody. But he says, here's who we normally invite. We invite our family. We invite our friends and people that we consider prestigious, important. And we will clean to get, when we poke the important, we get that thing clean. We, our, our, you know, our, our spouses and family see dishes they ain't even know existed in the history of mankind. Where did that silverware come from? Where did that china come from? Here's what the Lord says, what kind of people that, here's what I want you to do. Here's what inclusion means to me. I want you to leave the banquet hall and extend an invitation to the poor, the cripple, the lame, the blind, and bless them. I don't want you to, to, to make your priority list going forward in terms of who you want to reach so that not only they receive salvation, but are now able to participate in what God has called them to do. I want you to go after people who can't invite you back. I want you to go after people who can't pay the tip. I want you to go after people who don't have enough manners or training to even say thank you. 
Now, for the Pharisees, like these religious folks, well, that don't make no sense. That's crazy. If they can't invite you back to their house, why would you invite them to your house? If they really want to have a relationship with you, they need to act like it. But he's saying, here, I want you to, I want you to do this intentionally. The people that we overlook in church, the people that we don't pay attention to, the people that are kind of on the outside looking in, the people who come to church for the first time and maybe for the last time. I'm not telling you to jump on people, and, and, but, but we, people come to church for the word, but they stay be out because of relationships. What keeps people at churches is relationships. It's rare that somebody comes to church and they didn't come because somebody invited them. What kind of people did Jesus tell? He tells us. Now, why? Because the need is real. The Lord tells us to. Whenever you reach out to people that can't return the favor because they lack, you are showing the love of Christ. The Bible says that God, the Lord said, I'm going to reward you. When is the last time you had somebody over your house that wasn't a part of your family? When is the last time you purposely went out of your way to get the number of a person that was visiting our church or a guest at our church and then followed up with a call and you weren't even a part of the Keeping Christ Close ministry? Mm -mm, kind of quiet up in here. Uh, 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 uh. What I'm saying is the Lord has said, this is what we ought to be doing. This is how somebody, we didn't come to the Lord in a vacuum. Somebody came after us. Somebody told us about Jesus. How can you hear without a herald? How could you hear without a proclamation? Somebody told us about the good news in order for us to respond. And so the Lord said, one of the ways that I want you to respond, I want you to be hospitable. I want you to be intentional. I want you to invite people that would not invite you or could if they, even if they knew you because the resources are not there. When people see you, it's like the young man who was standing on the corner of New York. It was raining. It was cold. He didn't have on a shirt. I mean, he had on a T-shirt, no coat, and it's winter. He's standing on the corner, and slush is blowing in his face, and people are driving by, and they're blowing their horns. Go home, little boy. Go home. He couldn't have been more than five years old. Go home. Go home. And then one lady actually pulled over, and she said, what are you doing here? And she said, oh, what a shame. I can't believe that you're staying out in the cold. She patted him on the head. said, let me say a little prayer for you. Pray for him, and then kept on going. There's a man in a high-rise, older man, wheelchair-bound, looking out the window, sees a six-year-old boy. And even though he can't walk, he takes his motorized wheelchair. He makes his way out to the busy intersection on the corner. He invites the little boy in. Wasn't doing nothing strange about the old man. Invites him in, has him uh, to clean up, put on his grandkids' clothes, and finds out who the young boy's uh, uh, relatives are. Find, he found out that his parents are crack crack cocaine addicted, and they had just left the boy, they abandoned him. And so his relatives end up taking him. And then as he's leaving, he asks the old man, he said, is your name Jesus? Is your name Jesus? Would anybody mistake you for Jesus? On your best day? I want you to understand that the Lord said you ought to let your light shine. People ought to be seeing Christ. We heard that verse so many times. You ought to be thinking every single day, how can I be a blessing? How can I make somebody else's day? How can I put the interest of others more highly than my own? Because that is having the mind of Christ. It honors the Lord. It causes people to desire him when they see the message become alive through you and me. Do people even know that you're saved? 
you ought to be willing to give more than you receive. You shouldn't leave here any Sunday without asking the Lord to direct you to somebody that you can encourage. I'm not saying that you need to be getting into everybody's business and tell me what you did last night. And you look like you had a fight. You look like you might have had a taste or two. I'm not asking you to do any of that. I'm simply saying to be genuine as the Spirit of God is leading you to just say hello to somebody. God's favor should motivate you to reach the unreached rather than your own agenda. Here's what happens when we get convicted. When you hear a sermon like this, and you're not going to be hearing these kind of sermons in too many churches, because the pastor knows these kind of sermons don't get bills paid. We want to hear, it you all right? I know you in. I know you in. Somebody say, yeah. I heard my mama say back on the farm. We, we, that's what we want to hear. <laughs> we don't want to be hearing it's better to give. Here's what happened when the Pharisees who invited Jesus to dinner heard the parable about inviting people that can't repay. When one of those at the table heard this in verse 15, what Jesus said, they responded, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom. They start getting theological. <laughs> Let's talk about the Bible. Let's have a holy huddle. Let's go back to Sunday school. Let's be in Christ's strong ministry. Let's go to the women's ministry. So they are assuming that because of the favor and privilege on them as a nation, that they have this, this carte blanche relationship with God. They are going to be in the kingdom. They are going to be, that's what he's assuming, but he's talking about, he, what he does, he goes to religious sound bites. When people come under conviction and you start challenging them about changing, and what are you doing about the word you just heard? Then they're going to start quoting scripture. And the Bible says, don't judge, didn't it? Judge ye not, for in the same manner that you judge. But as I was saying. <laughs> so he, he changes basically the discussion about what they should do to fulfill the call of reach of salvation for everybody for a for total participation, he changes and starts talking about religious sound bites. We love the we love the holy huddle. We love coming to church. <laughs> yes, we do. I can't wait to get my Sunday school. You should come to Sunday school so that you can eat at the table and go and use what you've been given. But be careful that you don't shut, you don't push away conviction. How we justify failing to participate? We got every excuse under the sun. There are three excuses that were given here, but really what it boils down to, one says, well, I just brought some property and I need to go look at the dirt. <laughs> okay. I want, if you don't look at the dirt today, do you think it might still be dirt tomorrow? <laughs> and then somebody said, well, I'm, I'm trying to develop my business, so I brought five oxen and five goats. I think it was 10 things altogether. And that says that in order to purchase that much livestock, this, this person had it going. They didn't need the money. They were loaded. 
Somebody asked the richest man in the world, how much more money do you need to be totally satisfied? He said, it must be a little bit more than I have because I'm not satisfied. And so what happens is, he said, well, let me go check out my livestock. Let me go make sure my, 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 my 401k is all right. Let me go make sure that I can do a little bit more overtime. And what happens is you end up putting more emphasis on the temporal than the eternal. But I want you to understand that only what you do, we said this last time, only what you do for Christ will last. I don't care how much you have and where you live. I said, what will profit you if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul? But what the, what the deal is, with regard to the practicality of that, I sit and I watch people every single day, Monday through Friday, in the bed. Some of them are very wealthy. Some of them are very poor, but they all die. And when they die, their breath leaves their body. God says, return. It don't matter what your status is when God says return your soul leaves your body and everything that you did that excluded Christ is not going to follow you I don't care how big the house was I don't care how large the funeral procession is I don't care if you go to a mausoleum or a hole in the ground behind the prison as an indigent guess what when you die the only thing that's leaving here is your soul and the question is what have you done what have you done? Somebody said, well, I just got married. The woman would have loved to come to the banquet. So he's making excuses. So we use relationships. Well, my family comes first. No, your family doesn't. God comes first. The scripture says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness and everything that you need. I'm not saying that the priorities don't shift. When, when God is in his rightful place, your family will be in his rightful place. Here's why we need to include, be like God. All are welcome at God's table. How dare us include, keep anybody from becoming everything that they can be in Christ? That ought to be every one of our, our personal legacy. As I'm getting older and people ask me, how old are you? I want to say none of your business. And then, then I want to say the next thing, how old do I look? But I don't want to ask that question no more. And I don't want that question to go. No, I don't have any problem telling people that I'm 25. No problem at all. <laughs> but what is your spiritual legacy? Who have you helped become everything that they can be in Christ? Starting with your own children. Understand this, why we ought to do this. The provision for the feast come from God. Everything you have. Don't get this twisted. The breath that you breathe, that heart that is pumping in your chest, those waves, those brain waves that are going around in your mind right now came from God. And the same God who gave those things to you has simply entrusted it to you. The earth is the Lord's, including you. The plan for the feast is God's idea. He gets to call the shots. He says, go into the hedges and the highways. I want you to compel not just your friends and the people you feel comfortable with, the ones who look like you. I want you to compel the ones who are not like you, the one who the world calls insignificant and unimportant. I want you to tell them about me because I take nobody's. And I make them into somebody. The 
purpose of this thing is that God's blessing is to include all in his invitation. And there's a punishment when we aren't including and going and reaching others for Christ. The Bible says it may be because you don't, the reason that you don't have a heart for souls, we're more concerned about what, that, that they, somebody scratched our car. I was talked about that. Or, or the boat that we're working for, or the trip that we're trying to go on, that maybe your heart has never been converted. Because the heart of God is for souls. But then there's a temporal, there's a temporal consequence. Because if you really want to grow and not become complacent, just coming to church and reading your Bible and learning more scripture, the way that we continue to grow and we complete this thing called uh, our, our spiritual cultivation is by telling others about Christ. That keeps you alive. Go to them. Search until you find them. Compel them. Whatever you have to do. There are people in, they're, they're in, they're in danger of hell's fire. Compel them. Cry out. Beg them. It's your obligation. Receive and release them to their full, the fullness of their gifts. That's what the scripture is saying. Go into the hedges and highway. He tells his servant, his servant is obedient. And guess what? When the, peop, the people that are, are most needy, they recognize that they have a need and they will come. The people who have the most tend to think they don't need. The Jewish nation didn't think they need Jesus. There's always room. And you all know I love to eat. We used to go to Big Mama's house, my former pastor's mother's house. Boy. There was always room, always enough food. We ate until we ate. We, I mean, we fell out eating. It was ridiculous. That was before you could gain weight. I wonder if you know who is one of the most important people at the Academy Awards. What would sur surprise you is that one of the persons at the top of the list you never see them. You never hear about them. They get no recognition. They're not on the program. Uh, they simply work behind the scene. They are the persons who are responsible for controlling the lighting. The lighting. They have to go to every rehearsal. They have to know every color. They have to talk to every director. They have to know every movement. They have to know uh, 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 the, the, the reflections that both fit and are best. They have to be experts in the timing. When should the light go on? When should you ever go and play your money and to a Broadway uh, show and the lights don't come on? I don't care how good the actress is. You, you, don't, you ain't going to have no show. It's the person who's responsible for the lighting. Now, he may not ever get any recognition, but guess what? If he doesn't do his job, the show will not go on. He lets the stars be the stars, but guess what? Here's the good news. That's what we are called to be. We're called to be the lights of the world. You, you the, you're the light guy. And what you should be doing in terms of including everybody that the Lord wants to include is that as you get opportunity, you're shining the light of the love of Christ, the inclusiveness of Christ, the humility of Christ, the blessings of Christ. You're shining in at the right time because you're giving a word in season that is seasoned with grace and in mercy. Mercy. And then when you need to shine the light on somebody else, you take the light and you shine. And that's all, all you're doing is being directed by the Spirit of God. We're to shine the light. And then every now and then, you get a chance for the light 
to shine on you. We, we, don't, we need more Christians who are willing to shine the light so that people can see their way to God's table. God's table of salvation. Are you willing? Stand with me. Are you willing? Are you willing to get out of your comfort zone? Are you willing to break your routine? Are you sick and tired of, I wonder what we're going to do at church today. It didn't seem like people were alive today. Maybe the life that you're looking for really goes back to what are you doing when you're away from church? They're hurting people all around us. There are people who need you today, even that may be in this building. 